Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. It's been a crazy two weeks here. A lot's been going on in my life um, that I guess I can share with you. For one, it's winter and my husband hates winter here. So he's been going to a lot and uh, he dragged me down there a week ago and it was awesome. It was really nice. Um, I went swimming in the mornings in the Red Sea. Now, the Red Sea is not like um, the Atlantic Ocean at all. It is still water. It's There are no waves or anything. And you can see all the tropical fish right swimming with you. So it's the winter here. It's January. It's cold. Even though it is a lot, it's not Florida, okay? So it's still cold, what I would think uh, something around 50 degrees. Uh, American degrees, I think Fahrenheit, right? So you need to wear a fleece and pants and everything. But I went in the water anyway in the morning, you know, eight o'clock in the morning, I think. There were maybe two other swimmers. I, I think it's not real common. But the water is actually cold. The, the water is actually warmer than the air. That I know. And I loved it. I loved it. I didn't want to get out. You're swimming in there with the fish. You're with the fish, in the fish. Schools of fish swimming by, and you're in there with your arms and legs as you're swimming freestyle. It was just awesome. I could have stayed there all day. And that's one of the amazing things about Israel. Um, it's so small, you can drive from one end to the other. Um, so that was awesome. And then recently, just yesterday, uh, snow, snow all throughout Judea and Samaria all throughout Yerushalayim, and it's freezing, freezing cold. Um, it's pretty amazing, and I don't think you can live that way in other places with such extremes. Uh, it's very exciting. I also started a new job, so I'll tell you a little bit about that when we get back from the break. Our first guest is Alyssa Feingold-Yudkin, who is a, she's an English lecturer at the Ben Gurion University, and where she works is in Eilat, the Eilat branch. She's she's a colleague of my husband's, and we'll be speaking with her after the break. And um, we have a great show. Stick around. We'll be right back. The return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel was prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago and is coming true today. Shalom. Join me, Josh Wander, on Israel Unplugged. Listen in as we delve into the spiritual and physical aspects of the Jewish return to Zion. We'll discuss the biblically mandated, historic, and of course practical understandings of this incredible transition from exile to redemption. That's Israel Unplugged, every Monday on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Welcome to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. Joining us today is a woman I recently met who lives all the way in the south of Israel, in the Arava of Kibbutz, called Kibbutz Ketara. Um, this woman 
is um, originally from Great Britain, I believe, and is a friend of my husband, a colleague of my husband, and we just happened to stop by and meet her and her husband on our way home the other day. And I'm so happy to have you on the show. Alyssa, welcome. Thank you. Um, nice to be here. Wonderful. Wonderful that you can join us. I know you have a very interesting Alia story. You also live in a very remote place in Israel where there are not so many Anglos, not so many Olim Kharashim. Um, so let's, let's go back. I want you to just introduce yourself a little bit and, and tell us when you came to Israel and why. Okay, so my name's Alyssa Feingold, and uh, I came to Israel in May, the end of May, uh, 1981, <laughs> um, after I finished university and had worked as a Jewish youth worker for the Manchester community. Um, I grew up in Manchester. A lot of people call it a ghetto of Orthodox Jews. Mainly, I went to a Jewish um, elementary school, but for high school, I went to a mixed high school, but 25% girls only of the girls were Jewish. So it was a Jewish um, environment. And I joined uh, a couple of uh, Jewish youth clubs. The first one was I tried out B'nai Akiva, then I tried out Habonim, and eventually I settled with the Federation of Zionist Youth. Mm -hmm. uh, when I got to university, I joined the Union of Jewish Students, and I was the senior vice chairman of the Jewish, the Union of Jewish Students of England and Ireland. Uh, I had a very um, interesting time at university fighting um, anti-Israel, anti-Zionist feeling. I went to a university called Salford that was uh, full of uh, students from Jordan who were studying aeronautical engineering Man. and other students from the Middle East. Wow. That's and a lot of very left-wing students. Uh -huh. So, yes, uh, I was very busy doing that and less busy studying, but somehow or other I got my degree. Then I worked for the Manchester Jewish community, and then uh, I came on Aliyah with my first husband. All right, so that's 1981 when you did that. You yes. must have been in your early 20s. Yes, and, um, early. Okay, you came as a young couple. Very nice. Yes. And you were Zionist. You were very involved. Um, very involved in uh, anything to do with uh, Israel. As I said, I worked for the Jewish community. I went into schools. I lectured about Israel. I organized events, Independence Day events, and various other events for the community and for the youth of the community. Wonderful. So Wonderful. I was very active. And I came on Aliyah, and we settled in Ashkelon, because my then husband had a job at Polgat in Kiryat Gat. Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I, I know that name. I, it's familiar to me. I just don't know where I... Okay, Polgat uh, is one of the factories producing uh, suits, trousers, uh, clothing, men's clothing for Marks and Spencers in England. They also have 
shops in Israel. Oh, very cool. So what? Uh, so you went with a British? But I, I mean, a British yeah, husband, a British right? Husband. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, he, yes, that I'd met when I was sixteen in the youth movement. We lived around the corner. Locals. My parents knew his parents. Were part of the same uh, Aliyah group. It's very, group, very good. Very nice. Very romantic and very, very sweet. Um, okay. So where did you live? I mean, you say you, you settled in Ashkelon because of the factory. What? Yeah, we lived in Ashkelon because he worked in Kirat Gat. And as soon as I arrived in the Merkaz Klita, they said, so what job are you going to do? What do you want to be? And they basically said, well, you can either be a social worker because I had a degree in sociology or you can be an English teacher. And I decided to go on the route of being an English teacher. Uh, I went, um, I applied for Tel Aviv University. And every day I traveled on the bus to Tel Aviv and did a two-year course in teaching English as a foreign language, a B.Ed. And then I started working at a kibbutz school a regional kibbutz school called Shara Negev in Shterot. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I, I just want to go. I just want to talk back. If our listeners yeah. are picking up on Alyssa's story, back then Alyssa mentioned two things that struck me that do not really exist today. One, she and her husband went and lived in a Merkaz Klita. Other guests on our show have discussed this. They don't exist anymore for Anglo's. I do think that uh, people coming from Ethiopia and countries, you know, poorer countries still may um, settle in Merkaz Klita, uh, Merkaz Klita. Is that, is that right? Do you know? Yeah, yeah, yes. You're, you're correct. Okay. I believe that the Merkaz Klita, where I first, I spent the first year in Ashkelon, which is a fabulous Merkaz Klita. It's three high-rise buildings with fabulous views of the sea, five minutes walk to the beach what could anybody want more right uh it's filled with ethiopian uh immigrants who are stuck there and haven't been able to move out i don't believe that it um is a is an absorption center anymore it's more like a, a residential center for people in distress uh-huh. um, okay okay when i when i was there it was uh full of romanians uh, Americans, um, a few fellow Brits, and uh, some South Americans. Right. So the 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 Aliyah has changed, uh, you know, somewhat in in the last um, wow forty years. I think really, yes. really has changed. Um, yes. a, another thing that struck me that you that you uh, mentioned is they said to you, you can either be this or you can be that. Which is great, you know. I mean, today nobody sits you down and says you can be this or that. You're on your own, and you got to make it work. Now, you know, today is a lot easier to find, arguably, arguably easier to find your way to find a career. But I think it's kind of nice that um, you had a counselor and point you a direction, right or left, and kind of set your course for your life that way. I think it was because I was young, because I didn't have an exact profession. Uh, you know, I came and I said, well, I'd worked, I have a degree in sociology and I've worked as a Jewish youth worker. Um, and they kind of said, well, you're a native English speaker. 
the obvious thing is to be an English teacher and especially even then English teachers were in high demand so they knew that I could easily get a job but I didn't want to get the job without getting the qualification first. Okay very good. Okay we're we're stopping there and I just want to make a few comments. Um, if you all remember our interview last week with Liami Lawrence who came to Israel when he was 50 from Los Angeles and could not find a job and almost left, even though he had a profession, um, he said you should have a few plans. Uh, Alyssa came young, as she's telling us now, and was sat down by, with a counselor saying, your plan is going to be either a social worker or a teacher. Um, this, now, now, he also, I, I'm telling you that because Liami said you should have a few plans and don't be so hung up on what your career is. You may not be the CEO. You may not get the perfect job. And I, and I was going to tell him a few things because I have come across people, older people, already um, in their careers, you know, at the top of their careers. And that's one thing that really does hold them back. And it's very sad to hear when someone is so concerned with their reputation in the field. I only want to practice this kind of surgery. I only want to do this kind of law. Um, and they don't come. And so, so what do they do? What do they do? They stay in wherever they are, Texas, Milwaukee, New York, and they live their life as an American Jew, and they send their children to Jewish school and then they send their children to their gap year, and maybe the child stays in Israel, and maybe the child doesn't stay in Israel. And all that time, though that person who could have been here um, having a life, maybe not at the top of his or her career, but certainly, you know, earning, a, you know, making a living, they're doing it there, and they're building it there, and, and then it's just going to be harder and harder. Then they'll come here maybe for vacation, maybe when they're super, super old. And, you know, I, I've met these people, and I meet them over and over, and I, and I don't really know what to say. I don't want to make them feel bad, but I do feel bad. I feel bad for all of you listening who, who are letting things stand in your way. You just need to have courage and faith and energy and belief. Uh, yes, have a plan. Prepare. So do those things. You know, the tools are out there. Go online and find friends and find people who have done it. Find people who are doing it. Find some Hebrew lessons. Find a place to live. Find um, a, a counselor to help you put your resume together. Find people in your field. Um, if you have a dream to do something that you've never had the guts to do before, come do it here. It's, it's just a shame not to. It really is. All right, stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Steve Miller. And I'm Matt Zucker. Join us for Lighten Up, where we take a look at the week's current events in Israel and from around the Jewish world through a humorous lens. If you've been paying attention during these crazy times, you know that it's a challenge to parody life anymore. But join Steve and I as we give it the old college try. Not only is being happy an obligation, but life is just too short to take it all so seriously. So join me, Steve Miller. And me, Matt Zucker. For Lighten Up every Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. Israel, only on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Welcome back to Returning Home. We're continuing our talk with Alyssa, who is our guest today, who moved to Israel in 1981 from Great Britain and moved here with her husband, lives in Ashkelon, was just talking with us about the Merkaz Klita and how they sat her down and offered her two careers, one a social worker, the other an English teacher. So Alyssa, you learned for two years to become an English teacher for um, foreigners, is that right? Yes, I had a, a first degree. So uh, uh, Tel Aviv University had a program, um, a B-Ed program shortened for those who already had a degree of two years. The first, I managed to fit in all the courses in the first year and the second year. I just had to work and um, go for one seminar or, or from what I remember okay. and do a stage. It was okay. like a stage. All right. A stage, for those of you listening, is a clerkship uh, or yes. an internship. It's what you do when you enter a new profession. You kind of like as, you know, like exactly that as a junior. Okay. So I didn't yeah. know they, they had that for teachers. I don't know if that actually exists anymore for teachers. I know it does for other professions. Um what was it like back then? Uh, you know, now we have the internet. Now we have, you know, telephones, and you don't need to wait in line anymore. Um, you know, yeah, having it's children. A different world. <laughs> Completely, a different right? World. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you know, every morning at seven a.m., I took the bus to uh, Sterot from Ashkelon. I started work at this kibbutz school called Sharonegev, which I loved. And one of my pupils was Arik Sharon's son. Mm-hmm. Sure. He was, he was in my Yud Aleph, Yud Bet class, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, let's fast forward and yes. uh, tell us about your life, I guess, in the past 10 years. I, I know you, you have children, they're grown, you have a, an American husband today. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to get into that. That's you. But today you don't live in Ashkelon in the city. You live very far from Ashkelon, very far from any city center. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your life today? Okay. So I'll just re- uh, recap a bit. Uh, I left Ashkelon in 1987. I moved to a place called Yehud, which was near the airport. I lived there for 24 years. Then I got divorced and I was introduced to my husband in 2005, my new husband, and he lives on Kibbutz Keturah. Um, and I decided to brave it and join him on his kibbutz mm-hmm. after four years of him trying to persuade me to do so. Four years? In- yes, <laughs> oh it wasn't God. an instant decision. <laughs> 
Let me, let me just ask you a couple of questions. When you say four years, does that mean you dated this man for four years before yes, you met? Yes, yes. Long distance relationship for four years between Yehud and Keturah. Um, because he'd been living on the kibbutz for so long, he didn't want to move and couldn't move, really. So I decided to give it a try. Mm-hmm. And I'm still here. Good for you. You're a brave... Still trying. <laughs> you're a brave lady. And yes. um, why don't you uh, describe it a little bit to our listeners? Because a kibbutz life okay. down there is very much like it was in the 1950s. It, it really has not changed that much. Okay, so kibbutz Keturah is still a kibbutz in the true sense of the word. I am not a member of the kibbutz. Too old to be a member. To be a member of a kibbutz, you have to be accepted by the community. You have to be voted in. You have a two-year trial period where you work at whatever the kibbutz wants you to work at. And then they uh, vote you in if they decide to accept you. But the kibbutz, for financial reasons, wants people who are young and who have at least what would I say, about at least 25 years of their working life left or ahead of them. Mm-hmm. The ethos of the kibbutz is that you you should work in whatever job it is. It doesn't matter if you're a manager, if you're a, a university lecturer, a teacher, or the person who uh, uh, cleans out the kitchen in the dining room. Um, or works in the kitchen cutting out vegetables. It doesn't matter what it is as long as you have a job. Mm-hmm. And they will make sure that you are provided or given a job mm-hmm. if you don't have a career path of your own. Yeah, yeah. We could talk about the pros and cons yeah. of kibbutz for a, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I, we... I, want to, I want to speak about how special Torah is because uh, it is a special place. It has a lot of interesting alternative uh, industries. It it realized that agriculture uh, can't support the community totally and you have to branch out. But the main uh, agriculture that it does have that gives it the highest income uh, is, in fact, the medjool dates that they grow. Okay. About 550 tonnes each um harvest uh-huh i didn't even realize that uh, i was just yeah. there I, I didn't see i didn't Huge. see them where where are the what do you call them where are these trees where are the, the big palm trees? groves the palm groves are across the road oh i didn't even all know across that. the road the whole length of of roots route 90 okay is full of palm tree groves okay medjool dates yeah and okay they're, they, great yes. they're exported i'm guessing they're exported to europe they're exported, yes, to Europe. Yeah. Those of you listening, the, the dates, Alyssa is telling us, the medjool dates are these very large, fat um, dates. They are so healthy and they are so rich. Um, they're, you, you know, I never really ate these kinds of foods before I lived in Israel. But here is a very normal dessert. And it's, um, it's actually everywhere. It's everywhere in Israel. And we are known for it. You know, they're, they're grown in the Jordan Valley. They're grown down in the Arava where Alyssa lives. And they're exported all over the world. Um, 
and they are really like gold. They're they're so rich in um, I guess different vitamins and minerals, and and I think um, not calcium, but I think potassium. And, um, I mean, you know, I just know they're healthy. I know how many calories they are per thing. You know, <laughs> these are things you travel with. They're very good to take in the desert. They, uh, they don't need to be refrigerated. They don't make any mess and they don't crumble. Right. They're, 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 they're you just keep them in your car. Yeah. They're, they're like the, per- really the perfect food. Mm-hmm. They certainly are. All the kibbutzim in the Arava grow dates, uh-huh. every single one of them. Yes, Guilty. it's the main industry here, the main agriculture. Uh, everything else um, is not as successful. It's mm-hmm. very hard to grow anything else, but luckily the date palms don't like fresh water and they are watered with saline water from the aquifer. The water that's used for dates, believe it or not, is very salty and it comes from the aquifer, which is underground water wells, and that waters the dates, and saline water seems to make the dates even sweeter. It's amazing, amazing. And that's how things grow in the desert, and that's how the desert blooms. You, they, you told me a few things when I was there. I'd like to just get this out there. There are 175 kibbutz members, something like 600 actual people, individuals living there, and it was founded by Americans um, in this stream or this this area of Judaism, Young Judea. That's, that's what I know. It's, I think it's actually it's a youth, youth group. group. Right. Yes, right. youth group of Young Judea. And the Young Judea members are mostly not, uh, I wouldn't say religious, but um, Judaism is an important part. So the kibbutz has a synagogue, which is egalitarian and pluralistic, very similar to a conservative uh, service. Uh, We now have a a rabbi, a woman rabbi, and uh, we have a minion uh, on Friday and Shabbat and uh, one minion during the week for mourners. All right, so it's not a religious place. There are yeah. religious people. There are about 12 families who are Shoma Shabbat. And we have families of all kinds. We have families that don't keep anything, don't believe in anything. And as I said, we have about 12 families who are quite religious. Mm-hmm. How many then, uh, uh, Americans or English speakers like you, um, Anglos, would you say there are? It's majority, uh, yeah? I wouldn't say it's the majority. I would say that about 50% are English speakers from South Africa, Zimbabwe, America, uh, and Brits. And the rest are a variety of people from South America, France, a variety of countries, a lot of uh, Russians, Ukrainians, Belarus. Wow. Yes. Quite an international community. And Israelis. And Israelis, of course. Uh Israelis, of course, because when the kibbutz was first established, it was two Garinim who established it. The American Garin came first, and then they were followed by the Israeli scout movement. So every time a, a Garin came from America, another Garin would come from somewhere in Israel, Haifa, Cholon. All right, let's 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 uh, let's explain this, this term Garin. Um, yes. What is that? A, a group of families. It's really what it is. Yeah. 
Um, no, no, they were young then. They weren't families. The the a garin is usually eighteen year olds, or after the after university, twenty one year olds. You would say. Oh, so it's a group of friends. Yes, a group from <laughs> okay. the youth from the youth movement in abroad, young Judea, or a group from Israeli scouts who who uh, joined together, and their destination is to come to a kibbutz and build it up. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Returning Home. Are you tired of political correctness and the fear that you might offend someone? I'm not afraid to offend you. Wow, look who's talking tough. One has to be tough to keep sane today. Hi, I'm Alan Skorsky. And I'm Bela Seabrow. And join us every Wednesday for The Definitive Wrap as we interview the most sought-after guests and expose progressive trends that masquerade as enlightenment but actually destroy our freedoms. We are the No Woke Zone, so buckle up to this exciting show. Buckling up, but I'm driving. (laughs) Sure, you can drive, but I'm the navigator. Tune in for the no-nonsense, the definitive rap show, every Wednesday on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. That was, uh, that was, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Alyssa. It was really nice to meet her and her husband and, and see the way they live. I love Kibbutzim. I, I love Kibbutzim and I always thought I would live on one. And it's that kind of quiet, simple life that some people love and some people just don't. And my husband just didn't. Uh, when we moved to Israel, I told you all, we lived on a kibbutz for the first year. And um, he really didn't like it. And what do you do? You know, you make sacrifices for your spouse. Happy mommy, happy family, but miserable husband, not a happy mommy. <laughs> you can't, I couldn't ignore that, right? So I, uh, I followed him elsewhere. And it has worked out. It has worked out. Um, but it really is a very cool way to live on a kibbutz. And I'm still close with some of the families we knew that first year um it's a slow life i'll I'll say that's a slow and simple life and if you like you know busy city and you like you know things to do and places to go and you also like to be where you're maybe not known where nobody knows you uh, a kibbutz is definitely the wrong place because on a kibbutz everyone knows your business um one funny thing that often happened is and I'll explain why. Nobody owns a laundry machine on a kibbutz. There is essential laundry. And one of the jobs is sorting laundry. So there were maybe on our kibbutz three older women who worked in the laundry. And every family is assigned a number. So that number is, um, I guess, ironed on your clothing. Kind of like when you went to camp, summer camp, and your um, name maybe was stitched into your clothes as like a name tag, the same idea, okay? So what you do is you give your laundry to the, you give your actual clothing, put it in these bags, and then you, I guess you took it to the laundry, the laundry picked it up, I don't remember what. But what would often happen is 
you would see one of those women from the laundry and she would comment to you about your clothing. Like, did you find your underwear? I'm sorry I poked it in the wrong bag. This type of thing. Like very, you know, it's quite intimate, you know, to have someone looking through your dirty laundry and knowing your clothing. It's it's kind of um, demonstrative of the kibbutz life. You really don't have much privacy at all because everyone shares things. For instance, cars. You know, no one owns a car. There are kibbutz cars. And so if you want a car, you sign one out and then use a list and you, you write your name on the list and where you need to go. And if people see that you're going here or there, they're going to be nosy about it and ask or, 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 or presume why you're going there. If you're going to the gynecologist, for instance, if you're going to a counselor, a marriage counselor, you know, they see this. So it's a very, very... um different, non-private kind of life. Anyway, um, so I, I, I thought that was, uh, that was funny. And, then, then, and, and worth mentioning, um, you know, there are a lot of different lifestyles in Israel. And I don't think in other places you have such choices like this. Like you can live in a kibbutz, you can live in a moshav, which is a farming community. Um, you can live in a yishuv, which is a private village community, um, and a city. Okay. You know, cities, but you know, these, these choices just don't, and these, and these, and these ways of organized life, I guess, don't really exist in other places. And it makes Israel very special. And the individual here and the family unit is extremely valuable and extremely, um, respected. And, um, you know, you don't see singles in some of these communities. The, the, the community is based on the family unit. And you'll often hear me say how many families live in this place or that place, because, yeah, that's how they're counted. Um, here in Susu, we have 200 families. And that's how they're counted, you know. Um, how many individuals are there here? You know, that's another issue that's not even recognized or mentioned sometimes. It's the family number. Um, I mentioned earlier that the weather here is diverse, and it's kind of funny. I never talk about weather. That's one of the things I like about living here, not having to talk about the weather. Who wants to talk about the weather? It's such a waste of time. It's a stupid way to start a conversation, and I think it's a stupid way to fill a conversation. However, now with the snow, um, it actually is a conversation piece and a hot piece, and it's really, really funny. One of the things that is very humorous to me and probably other Americans who grew up with snow on a regular basis is the way Israelis view snow. And you'll see them, for instance, outside playing in snow with their bare hands. And you'll see them building snowmen with mud, muddy snow. Um, you'll see them, you know, making snowballs out of slush. And they also like take snowballs and bring them inside. They bring snow. They don't seem to understand the concept of snow melting and becoming very messy you know, and going through your clothing. It's very funny to see. And I don't say anything. I just let them enjoy because to them, it's like once in a lifetime, even though, to be honest, we've been in Susha for 15 years and it snowed maybe twice already. Uh, real snow. So it's not, it shouldn't be so unusual, but you know, it is, it is, it's not, it's not common. It's going to be, we'll get one snow and that, that will be it. And who knows how many years will go by until they get another one. So let them enjoy, right? It does create havoc. However, 
you know, a lot of roads closed, all these type of things that we're not used to really. And a lot of um, the older people living in Jerusalem in the cities are afraid to go outside and they are not only extremely cold, but they're extremely frightened and alone. So our rescuers uh, joined together with another organization and took around hot soup to some of these elderly people. And it was really um, a beautiful gesture they did. I, I was very happy to see that. And I'm sure it brought a smile to many faces. And it makes us think, you know, when we are here with our families, we're so lucky to be surrounded by people. Just imagine being by yourself. It's hard. It's got to be hard. Um, and this is also why I think it's really nice to live in a community, in a yeshuv, because you're never really alone. Although in Israel, arguably, you're never really alone either. Look, these people are in the city, and they got help. I wanted to talk to you about one other thing. Um, I got a new job. I just thought I'll share that with you. I'm still with Hatzalah Yudav Shomron. I will never leave them. They are near and dear to my heart. Um, but I am a trademark attorney, and I recently joined a firm here called Azami Global. And uh, I want to tell you how I found this job because so many people are always looking for jobs, right? That is one of the reasons people don't come to Israel. They're afraid they won't be able to make it. And, you know, um, there's LinkedIn and there's resume building and there's Nefesh Ben Nefesh. And there are lots of places where you can comb these job lists and there's people out there giving advice. But this came about, and, I, and there's Gavaim. I, I think I interviewed a woman from Gavaim, and this is a workshop I even went through. Um, there, are, there are, it's funny, all these things I did to get back into the, I guess, for-profit world and back into law. Um, this all happened by chance, and this is just a typical way things happen here. I was in the car with a guy I knew who wanted to meet with Hatsala about an idea he had for rescuing um, a rescue division. And as we were driving, he asked me about myself and I told him what I do, what I did, my background. And when I told him I was a trademark attorney, he mentioned that he knew someone else who has a company doing uh, intellectual property. And he did an email introduction. This is like last summer. And from then I, we met and... I was interviewed, and then five months later again, and I got the job. They're actually creating a position here. So none of the resume workshops I did, none of the LinkedIn profile updating I did had any effect on me finding a new position um, in my field. Now, I'm not saying don't do those things. Um, it's good that I did those things, but you just have to realize Israel is so small. And you could be ending up in a car by chance. I, I've spoken to you about tramping, how people, I, I used to tramp. I used to look for rides, and I now pick people up for rides in my car. You could be having a conversation in the car about something, and that could turn into a career opportunity. You just never know. It's a very small world. And come, coming here, being here, part of this small world, is going to affect your life here. You can't do it. If you're not here, okay, let me just say that again. You can't do it. You can't make a life here if you're not here with both feet on the ground. So despite what some of my guests have said, prepare, prepare, prepare. Some people prepare more than others, all right? You don't 
need to have every perfect plan in its, you know, every T cross, every I dotted, you'll never come. Nothing, I mean, hey, if you can do it, great, but you need a few plans, a plan A, B, and C. You need to be flexible. You need to be energetic. You need to be positive. You need to be adventurous. You need to have faith, all right? You can't have expectations and demands. He, uh, Liami, in our interview last week said, Israel's not gonna change for you. And I had comments about that, but he, he was right. You know, you've gotta, you know, change your head a little bit. And no, it is kind of like a brave new world here and become a brave new person. And I know you can. If I can do it, you can do it. There is nothing special about me. Each of us has our own gifts and our own strengths and our own weaknesses. And just bolster what you've got and you'll make it. I know you will. I'm not the only American here and I'm not the only adult who came late. If I can do it, you can do it. Have a great week, everybody. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.